I'm not even going to ask if the aneurysm had any effect on your writing or makes its way into your writing. But do how much, how much did that make its way into your writing? Very little or, or a lot? Uh, most, I would say in fiction, it, it doesn't really appear um, mm. that much. Uh, there, there, there was a time where I did include a scene where one of the characters is a nurse and one of her patients had a ruptured brain aneurysm, which I thought would be kind of like a tip of the cap. But um, it, it, I mean, in, in writing, you know, the memoir, obviously it was very much uh, present, um, but not so much. I've been able to kind of uh, compartmentalize a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, on top of the writing, you also got involved with the HHHG, Happy Hour with Heather and Guest. Um, this was also really cool. Sounds to me like this cropped up during the pandemic. And, or was this a little bit before? Explain this one too. I want, I want to hear it in your own words rather than read from the website okay, verbatim. Sure. So this is going to go back uh, what, in, in 2013. Uh, I was teaching in Hong Kong oh, cool. um, and I heard a podcast called analyze fish about the band fish, uh, P H I S H for people out there who aren't familiar. And um, the show was about a comedian who really loved the band and would try to convince the other, his colleague why he should listen to fish so each episode he would play songs, he would analyze the songs, he would. And I thought, this is an incredible show, uh, you know, and you could have millions of episodes and it's just always going to be funny. So at the time, I thought I share an office with a great guy who's a very meek British teacher who's into like Britpop, like Oas Oasis was probably about as heavy as he would get. Okay. Um, so I thought I listen to heavy metal music predominantly, which is usually a surprise to people based on, on, you know, when they meet me. Uh, but I thought, let me start a podcast where it'll be me and my friend Martin, and I'm trying to expose him to different heavy metal music. So we created a show called a fistful of faceful, um, <laughs> which we did together in Hong Kong for a year. Uh, and then I moved back to the U.S. and he stayed in Hong Kong and it became difficult with the 12 hour time difference to keep a show going. So I basically did it by myself. Um, I would have for that first year, I would usually ask uh, colleagues if they'd want to be a guest. Um, so then it became just playing heavy metal music for different colleagues. Uh, and then when the aneurysm hit, I started to do an episode every day, just as again, as a way to stay engaged and kind of, um, uh, so that's how I started. That's how I kind of got involved in podcasting just to have fun and do something with a friend. Uh, and then because I was listening to a lot of music, uh, I heard an interview with a, um, marketing and PR person 
uh, who I really enjoyed what his, his name is Matt Bacon. Um, and I really appreciated what he had to say. So I reached out to him about, uh, how I could possibly promote some of my books, uh, you know, cause I figured he would have more of a non-traditional approach as a music, uh, and marketer. Um, so then I kind of got involved in his circle and Heather, uh, also was kind of involved in the circle trying to march. She has uh, among many of the things she does, she has an eBay store. So she is trying to market her eBay store. Um, and Matt at the time was doing a, like a marketing clinic that you could do an online marketing clinic. And I ended up winning, you know, he Heather was doing a giveaway and I ended up winning the giveaway and, and the prize was free entry into this marketing thing. So we both ended up in this marketing challenge together. And one of the projects that we had to do was we had to create a Facebook group. So she created Happy Hour with Heather and Guest, which was initially just going to be a Facebook group for like-minded people to talk about music and share songs and and just a place to kind of relax uh and then when the pandemic hit and musicians weren't able to play live gigs anymore uh many of them were able to perform and live stream the performance into the facebook group so it sort of pivoted and when that happened heather asked if i could join to help her out um and i said that would be great so for most of the pandemic the it was just the facebook group really to kind of interview bands or allow them to live stream perform uh and that was pretty much through 2020 i would okay. say uh and then once musicians started playing live shows again heather and i talked about how we could pivot again like how could we keep the format but kind of change everything since people wouldn't need to perform live, uh, on, on, uh, Facebook. Right. So we, we switched to more of like a, a review based show where she and I do a zoom with each other. And we kind of break down, uh, a couple of albums from contemporary bands. And, uh, sometimes we'll talk about, uh, um, you know, other songs that we enjoy, We'll we'll still have interviews and and I've been going into our uh, backlog of all these videos we have archived on Facebook and sort of reposting them on YouTube. So um, so it's been fun. It's it's it, she's a really great fan of the genre um, mm -hmm. and a really kind and supportive person, and we work really well together. We both sort of complement each other's strengths. So. You know, I, I'll, we'll, we'll talk about a band. We just talked about a band called Slow Green Thing, mm -hmm. which I heard from Germany, um, you know, and Heather will take the time to sort of analyze the lyrics and stuff like that. And I'll make up phrases about, you know, it's, it's got a wondery chord progression and things like that, that, you know, and neither, neither of us have a background in music. So we don't really know what we're talking about in terms of any technical sorts of things. So it's just fun to kind of, um, you know, put the spotlight on bands that normally wouldn't 
get heard or seen by people in certain groups. And right. Um, and yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, I've learned that so much of what we do each day should just be fun and enjoyable. Um, you know, we're always, I, I remember recently hearing, uh, an interesting, uh, description of that we're in the technological age, essentially where everything is viewed as having a reserve of energy that can be optimized. Um, and I remember thinking that's re you know, that's sort of true for everything. No one looks at something now and just says, wow, that's an, a pretty cool or beautiful thing in and of itself. It's always, how can I make this bigger or faster or capitalize on what it does? That's and, a really good um, point. and happy hour with Heather and guest, both of us don't really want it to ever go anywhere in particular. It's just sort of a fun thing we can do to just enjoy each other's company and try to get certain bands some notice and listen to the good music. And, and I think part, you know, that's part of why I'm able to be so prolific with everything is because I have that view. Um, and I've been able to really uh, prioritize the certain, you know, I think so many people have obligations that get in the way. Um, and I've managed to sort of avoid allowing those obligations to get in the way, or I just don't have as many. Um, so that that's, that's basically been the happy hour with Heather and guest show. Uh, I, I don't know this year I threw out trying to do a live stream festival, which I thought would be cool. Just kind of, um, having bands from all around the world, you know, play in their rehearsal spaces and then just broadcast the stream. So We'll uh, we'll see, but for now we have uh, a format that we enjoy, just kind of reviewing bands and uh, and just nice. hanging out, having a good time. So that's I love that. I love that. And you you know you mentioned fun. You dropped the word fun probably twelve or somewhere between twelve and twenty times in that in that description, which I think is is fantastic. And you can see it. You can see it in the uh interviews you can see it on the cover photos your cover photos mm -hmm. by the way are fantastic i loved them each one puts a smile on my face i thought it was phenomenal um thank you for that thank you for that and yeah, well thank you yeah it's you know i you know it's it's interesting because heather and i don't really have uh like a 50 50 split of what we do you know, like I just do the, the, a lot of, you know, all those marketing and, and, uh, social media texts just because it's fun. Um, you know, I, I, there's a photo, the, the photo I use of me is when I had a mustache and I'm wearing a fedora and, uh, you know, I, I remembered in the movie death wish three, there's an iconic scene with Charles Bronson with a machine gun while, uh, his pal Rodriguez is holding the ammo. And I thought that's a perfect metaphor. Heather's got the machine gun. I'm holding the ammo. Uh, I'll superimpose her face on Charles Bronson's and I'll be Rodriguez. Uh, <laughs> so, so then I just think of other, you know, what would other really great duos from cinema or TV be that would exemplify sort of this fun, you know, the Butch Cassidy and Sundance one I thought was a pretty good one. Uh, Wes and Lord Humongous from The Road Warrior. 
Um, there's a, you know, there's just, it's a never ending supply of duos that, uh, so yeah, again, that, but that's part of the enjoyment, you know, waking up thinking about, okay, how can I, what's going to be a, a, an interesting way to market this, but that'll also be enjoyable. And, um, you know, and then thinking about like, okay, I'll, I'll exercise today. I'll write today. I'll study for class today. I'll do these things. Um, but yeah, I mean, having, having fun is, is something, you know, the, the addendum to my memoir that's coming out, I've titled it playing with house money, which is sort of like how I look at the rest of my life. It's kind of like, well, I, I, you know, from here on out, I'm basically playing with house money because I didn't, I, I, it could have been very easy for me not to have survived, you know, the aneurysm and, uh, I should make the most of the opportunities I have now. So enjoying it, be, being fulfilled really is the, the number one sort of goal. Nice, man. Nice. And you, you've taken on an attitude that so many people, um, it, it, those people who have made it through and you hear about, um, it's that they've said meant much the same thing. It's like, now it's a blank slate. Now it's tabula rasa. Now I get to mark, make a mark out there. I get to start again. I get a second chance kind of thing. Um, the way you say it is great. I'm playing with house money. I think that's one of the best ways to describe it to me. And, or to me or to anybody, but um, I think people need to realize too that as much as we hear these success stories out there, it, it's worth noting that the vast majority of people that go through what you've gone through, um, they're not on that flip side. They're not taking this on, on the positivity and taking it in gratitude and running with it. And the reason we don't hear about that is because they're not out there saying it. They're, they're in bed. They're on the drugs. They're, you know, they've slipped into bad habits or the depression was too much for them. So, you know, folk out there that haven't gone through stuff like this need to keep in mind that those people we hear about, those success stories, those, such as yourself, you're probably in the 5% of people who go through the things that you go through. So my hat's off to you, man. My hat's Thank off you. to you. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I also don't want people to get the impression that this was sort of an, not an easy road to get to, but that I was immediately as positive and, and outgoing as, I mean, it's, it's really, I didn't start feeling like this until September of uh, 2021. So it's been three, you know, three plus years of, you know, dragging my feet and trying to figure things out and falling down and getting back up. And, you know, you're, you're seeing me at the end of the, of, of, you know, coming through, you know, you're, you're in, in the, I don't know if you've seen the Shawshank Redemption, but yep. uh, you're seeing Andy Dufresne in the rain at the end with his hands up because he's made it, you know, you we're we're not seeing him crawl through, uh, you know, escaping from the prison. So believe, believe me, I had my, I had my prison escape. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and I think it, it takes it takes a lot of time, you know, there like you said, I, I, I 
I always view myself as being in the top percentile, luckily, of people who, you know, even though I survived, uh, I came through it with very few major physical debilitating things. Um, and so many people in so many support groups that I've participated in have really difficult physical ailments that they had, you know, so it's really difficult anyway, just to try and adjust. Um, mm -hmm. And I certainly don't want to give the impression that it's not uh, by any stretch. Um, and it does take a lot of time, but, uh, but it can be done. I mean, I think that's, that's one thing I will certainly always subscribe to is that it is possible. Um, I think if you, if you cut yourself some slack and you adjust your perspective and you find, a, you know, you find a good support system, you find you have over time, you find the things that work for you and the overwhelming aspects of it will get smaller and smaller. It just takes, you know, at the, at the end of the day, really for me, um, you know, it was, I just needed time. You know, there were, there were certainly uh, things I could do in physical therapy or, uh, you know, uh, meditation. I could do, there were all these things I could do, but really it would just take about three and a half, four years of time to get there. So, so just be, be gentle with yourself. If you're out there and you're watching this and you're, you know, getting anxious, just remember it all takes a lot of time. Yes. Yes. Time and patience. I, I, I like that. And there's, there's a phrase that uh, we use in the epilepsy support group called giving yourself permission, give yourself permission to, to fall down a little bit. And this also goes into uh, what you had said earlier on in our conversation about progress isn't a linear upward slope, it can be a spiral. And sometimes it's like a roller coaster. And um, falling down and falling back, um, isn't isn't necessarily always your fault per se because we tend to take things on as as we we take we take responsibility um for things that aren't our fault and when you have conditions like like what you went through in in like my epilepsy we personalize it too much and we need to cut that cord sometimes and be like this isn't mine this belongs to the epilepsy or this belongs to the brain aneurysm I'm going to give myself permission to let that go. Um, did you have any tips or tricks when you hit those walls or those setbacks? Were there any mantras that you used or were there any kind of meditative grounding exercises that you used that help you kind of, kind of step back and separate that? Was there any particular things you did or was it just kind of a improv? Well, um, I, there was there was a book that I read uh, called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Uh, the first time I read it, it didn't have as profound of an impact on me. I, I don't think I was quite ready to process what he was saying, you know, what he was saying in there as something that could be applicable for me. It was more just like, oh, this is an interesting story. Um, but that's a good one by Viktor Frankl. Um, he had been in uh, four different concentration camps uh, during his time, um, but he talks about how you can find uh, joy or fulfillment even in the worst situations. And that was something that I think finally resonated with me. If you get the chance, it's, it's a very good book. Um, there was also uh, 
podcast by Noah Rochetta, the non-secular Buddhist podcast, which was really helpful both with regard to meditation, but also keeping things in perspective. And uh, a fellow named Stephen West has a podcast called Philosophize This, where he does a great job breaking down sort of complicated philosophical concepts. Um, and that was, you know, that was a lot of it was sort of just allowing for my perspective to change over time. Um, okay. You know, I, I think certainly reading uh, Victor Frankl's book was helpful uh, and listening to those two shows gave me the kind of the framework. Um, and then really just the, just the time, you know, I, th I, it's interesting because I think as a teacher, I saw this uh, working with middle and high school students that there's such a stigma these days with, with, uh, you know, either making mistakes or fail, you know, everyone wants to be perfect. And I remember that was always a struggle to talk to parents about, you know, how important it is that you recognize that it's okay to make mistakes or, you know, that's how you learn. Um, and if you fail that it's not the end of the world, um, or if it feels like you're not making progress, but I feel like culturally we're so caught up in everything needing to be perfect all the time that, uh, that would be my other tip is give yourself the grace to understand that this is going to be a back and forth journey. Um, you know, and also you'll, you'll feel like, um, you know, I would always think of myself a lot of the time as feeling like I was in a boat and not knowing the direction I was going, just sort of letting the current take me. Uh -huh. uh, and I never took the time to enjoy the ride. It was always, where am I headed? What, you know, that looks like a storm cloud over there. Not, but it's sunny right now and it's a breeze and I'm, you know, the speed, this is great just to be out on the open water. Um, so that took, so, and it, it, that took time just to kind of, uh, acclimate, you know, there was, there was, uh, for a long time, especially after I had lived with my folks for that first post-hospital stay where I thought, okay, I'll be going back to my apartment. I, I think it'll probably feel like I'm returning to my old life. You know, like emotionally, it'll be like I'm putting on a jacket that used to fit and I'll just, I'll feel like how I did before and everything will go back to normal. And, um, that was kind of the biggest lesson to learn that it's, there are going to be elements from your previous life that feel familiar and are there, you know, like I, I still live in the same apartment um, and I still have friends that, uh, that are nearby, you know, I, there are still elements of it, but for the most part, it's going to be a brand new experience. Um, and over time that was really overwhelming and then became less so just uh you know, just, just through the grace of just allowing it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that mind shift you were talking about, it's, it's not what I'm finding. It's like one morning I thought, woo, things are going to go great because I had this mind shift and it almost felt like a revelation, but those mind shifts also have to be, uh, kind of like what you're saying, you know, you got to allow yourself the grace, you got to allow yourself permission. And you have to have the mindfulness to keep that, that paradigm shift in your head. 
um, kind of at the forefront, maybe even write it down on the wall or something. I, these days, uh, the, the, the only problems that I have, my vision takes time to settle. If I move my head, um, I, I, I think of myself as a human bobblehead. Um, (laughs) I'm again, I'm grateful. I don't get nauseous when it happens. It just, it, it just, you know, sort of corrects itself. Um, and my balance isn't very good. So, um, and there was a period of time actually where I went back to physical therapy strictly to address the balance. And I, I thought at the time, okay, I'll do these exercises and it will somehow reset my balance. Like my, my brain will reprint and now, you know, now thinking about it, I sort of realized that that was an unrealistic expectation. Um, I also did uh, acupuncture sort of thinking, why, why not try this? You know, and if it works, uh, which it didn't, but I still, you know, I'm I'm still glad I, but I, so I did go through uh, various things to try and address physical stuff. Um, I didn't realize that the bulk of my emotional recovery would happen separately. You know, I just assumed, okay, as I'm physically recovering, I'll also be adjusting emotionally. Um, yeah, yeah. And I was surprised that it sort of happened afterward. Uh, I, I, you know, you'd mentioned- um, I'm dealing with that right now. It, it Exactly. I thought it would just be a natural side yeah. effect of getting better physically, but mm-hmm. it's not. Yeah. No, no, it's it's uh, its its own separate thing. Um, and I, I, you know, for for the first few months, I actually did have a post-it note that I put on my wall, which read Rome wasn't built in a day. And I would look right. at it every day as a way to, to, you know, remind my, you know, another thing you'll hear frequently in support groups is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you know, so I don't really need those so much anymore, but there was a period where even looking at that every day reminded me that this is going to be a difficult adjustment. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, when you experience any sort of trauma like that, there's going to be, uh, ripples in the pond, you know, that just take a long time to settle. Uh, that's, I mean, that's part of, part of the reason I wanted to write an addendum to the memoir is that the memoir discusses the trauma itself and the, the first sort of few months afterward but I haven't really seen many things that address, you know, what four years afterward is going to be like. Um, yeah. You know, er- everyone, I remember uh, trying to explain to my godmother the, the first year afterwards, sort of that I was emotionally still dealing with a lot of stuff. And she used the, the metaphor, well, you're sort of like a restored car. You look fine on the outside, but the engine still needs work. And I remember thinking, wow, that's a great, that I will have to steal that from you. Yeah, um, that is. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, unfortunately, none of us know how it's, you know, what, what the experience is going to be like, um, how difficult or how easy certain days will be. Um, you know, I think certainly there is damage, physical damage done 
that uh, takes a long time to heal. Uh, and there's emotional trauma from that that you're just going to have to sort of um, learn to adjust to over time. Uh, I mean, yeah. for me, again, having a, a, a great support group, you know, of friends and family, um, the resources are limited, but they're out there. Uh, I found there's a service I found um, in Virginia uh, called Brain Injury Services that was great to sort of just be able to go and speak to somebody who could uh, give me advice or help me out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm one of the, one of the unfortunate byproducts is I still have difficulty sometimes making emotional connections. Mm -hmm. That's been, so I've been seeing a somatic experience therapist to try and practice, you know, practice capitalize on, recognizing when emotional shifts are happening and hopefully over time, you know, I, I think it's one thing that's really wonderful that I've arrived at is that I don't have expectations anymore for how the recovery may go. I used to, and they would never be met. So I stopped real, like I would, I would obviously give them consideration, but I would never think, okay, in a month I'll be able to do X. Uh, because I would never, but, um, Brilliant. That's but what's my, great, yeah. what's great working with her is, you know, when I do have these little breakthroughs there, it, it's magnified. It becomes a huge, you know, we talked about the feeling of smelling fresh coffee in the morning and getting giddy because you knew you were going to drink coffee was a breakthrough. Um, you know, and that's such a, a small thing on, you know, in the grand scheme of things, but uh, it's also about celebrating when you do make those, you know, giving yourself the permission to kind of falter and not not hold yourself up to such strict standards, but also celebrating the little victories when you have them. Um, yeah. You know, and it is it, it, this is who we are. For, you know, this is the hand we've been dealt. So I think we're all we're all going to do our best to try and make the best hand as we move forward. Um, and however you need to do that, uh, give yourself permission to do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, God, I love it. I love, I love your approach. I love your mindset to this. Um, for anybody who joined halfway through the podcast and why would you put it in reverse and listen again, I'm talking to Andrew Davey. He's an author, a teacher, might be working toward counseling. I actually wanted to ask you about that. And he is a survivor of a ruptured brain aneurysm. Um, I just noticed he's got a couple of forthcoming books. Uh, the next chapter in your detective duo series, McGill and Grope. Is it Gropper or Groper? How do you pronounce uh, it's that? It's a Gropper. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I used to teach with a very nice guy named Evan Gropper. And I remember thinking... That's a phenomenal name for a character, Gropper. So that's that's where I got that. And from. it's it's like a little shout out to a to a, a teaching bro. Oh yeah, and I, I I try to do that through all of the things that I write. I try to name characters after people, or uh, include, you know, I'll name a street after, uh, you know, somebody, or or it's just a, a fun tip of the cap. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, anybody who want to get a look at some of his work, take a look at some of his his writings. 
get a look online, andrew-davy.com. And that's andrew-davy, D-A-V-I-E.com. So, and I'll make sure to uh, put that website in the uh, description of our episodes as well. So, um, I was thinking about, so you've got, you're still writing, you're, you're still going prolific. I love that. And, uh, sounds to me like, like you were saying, you're, you're at the end of the Shawshank in the rain, arms up, you're feeling good. I think that's awesome as well. And you had mentioned earlier on in our conversation about the, um, the desire to help other people and the desire to help other people through uh, similar situations, what you have done. And you've even mentioned it in your website that you were going to start working uh, in counseling starting this year. Has this actually manifested yet, or are you still in the process of getting the, No, the... I, I, I started school uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, nice. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's strange to be back uh, uh-huh. as a student again, um, but... Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because one of the things I got really interested in over the last couple of years was, um, you know, as, as I was recovering, was sort of thinking about ethics or how to act, you know, what's the best, what's the best sort of thing to try and do, um, you know, just ba- based, I, I, again, looking at it like I've been given a second chance or a clean slate or something, what's the the best way to capitalize on that. And I read a, uh, well, actually I listened to a, a podcast first and then read what I could try to understand of um, a book called The Ethics of Ambiguity by Simone de Beauvoir. She's a great author. The interesting thing, when you talk about existentialist ethics, there's no objective right thing to do. You're sort of creating. So a lot right. of people think, how do you have an existentialist ethics when it's subjective? Because what's right for me may not be right for you. Um, one of the things that she said that was really profound is that we are all subjects, but we're also objects in other people's, you know, so you're an object, I'm the subject, you're the subject, I'm the object. Um, so one of the things she said is you sort of have to will yourself free um, in terms of choosing the projects you wanted, you know, for, so for me, for example, writing, um, teaching, or being a student, doing these things, but you also have to will the freedom of other people because it's all intertwined. So um, that sort of gave me the idea, well, if I can find ways to help will the freedom in quotes of other people, then that will be, then I will be on my way. Um, I sort of realized that doing things that would be enjoyable just for me would only take me so far. So teaching or writing or any of these things that were most, I mean, teaching is not so much uh, of a a personal thing um, because you're obviously teaching students, but writing or the podcast or things like that Um, so I kept trying to think, well, what are other ways to involve other people that would be helpful? And it was really sort of based on, well, I can, I can always write, I can do the podcast, I can go back to school. Um, I could try to teach, but really providing support for people going through what I've experienced will be the best way 
to sort of help them. And as a result, I'll be helping myself. So that was, that was sort of the way to, to figure that out. I, I, and again, I, you know, like with teaching, I was never the best at, at creating, you know, examples for the lesson, but I was good at providing solace for somebody. So I'm, I'm hoping that I may, you know, I'm looking at some of the textbooks right now, like ethical, legal, and professional issues and counseling. My eyes will probably cross when I have to read that, <laughs> but you know, I've been there. I know what it's like. I can probably help steer you through this difficult time, or at least I can be a, 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 a you know, an ear to listen. So that's, that's what I'm hoping. That was getting into teaching just didn't have the fire that I, that I felt like I would need. Um, you know, I, I went through a period of time where it was difficult to get out of bed each day. Um, you know, we all, I think we all sort of have those points and, um, I was thinking, okay, well, what's, if teaching is not going to get me out of bed every day, what is something? And I, I, again, as we spoke about in the earlier part of this episode, I remember moments that really helped when I was at my lowest point was just confirmation that I wasn't alone. And yeah. if I, if I can somehow provide that for someone else who's going through a difficult situation, then, then that's what I will do. Kudos, man. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you. We need, we need more people like you in the world. Definitely. And, uh, two quick questions before we wrap this up here. Uh, when do you think you might be graduating? Are you going to be going into private practice or you think you'll be joining a group? And then one last question after that. Okay. Well, I, I am a full-time student now, so I'm hoping to graduate in 2024. Cool. If everything works out well. Um, and I would love to work, you know, at a place like brain injury services or there's a brain aneurysm foundation or any of, you know, any place that's already sort of a great nonprofit that's offering services. I feel like I could uh, add value, but really, you know, really I'm sort of open to, uh, I feel like there's so many people who need help these days that uh, wherever I end up will, you know, I will do my best to, to try and help out. Nice. Um, last question before we, uh, before we cut tape and, and can this one call it good. You had mentioned early, early on in the conversation, uh, you were describing your memoir and how it was divided into four parts. And I think we just, we, we talked about pretty much three of those four parts in our conversation today. Um, one of those, though, I just want to know, just out of sheer curiosity, the online dating section you were talking about. I tried it um, after I got divorced back in 2013. And honestly, for me, it was a fucking disaster. I blew it. Tell me one or two of your most most interesting um, stories from online dating, whether it was a disaster or whether it was just completely crazy. Okay. Well, the, so I had, um, aside from publishing a book, I had always assumed or thought or wanted to, uh, get married, start a family. And so I think what I realized when I moved back here in 2014 from Asia, that when I was, when I was much younger, you would go out to a bar to meet somebody, um, 
which really doesn't happen so much anymore. Plus, I, I had quit drinking, so I would need to find an alternate kind of route. Uh, so online dating was sort of a way to just meet people. Um, you know, once I realized that uh, all of my colleagues were either married or in relationships, that there wouldn't be any um, any opportunities at work, uh, I sort of figured, okay. Um, and then, let's see the best. So the best, the best, uh, or one of the one of the interesting ones that I remember was, uh, I think, I was messaging with this one woman. And I didn't hear from her for about a week. So I think I wrote, but I, I was probably a little bit more, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to even describe it. I get, What my brother would later say is, I gave her the full dose of me right off the bat. <laughs> I said, there's probably a couple reasons why you haven't replied to my message. The first is that you're not interested anymore. The second, you've started dating someone else. The third, you're being held captive by an orangutan with a straight razor and you can't get to the computer. And I said, but odds are that's probably improbable since Edgar Allan Poe wrote a short story based on the same thing. And, uh, and rather than, <laughs> you know, she wrote back and she said, yeah, that's it. I'm being held captive by a weapon wielding primate. And, and so then we continued to talk and I remember thinking, wow, this is like, I think in the memoir I wrote, this is like having 120 mile per hour serve in tennis and serving it and having someone hit a cross court winner backhand to win the point. <laughs> and I remember thinking, okay, I've clearly met my future wife um, just based on that. And then we went out, uh, we went out, we met up uh, and it, we, nothing happened on the, from the date. But I remember thinking, okay, that's, that's really interesting. That the, the, you know, I wasn't expecting that response. Um, right. And then, the, you know, just to, to quickly, uh, one of the things that was difficult while I was recovering was I kept trying to prioritize my old goals after the aneurysm. Um, so I, I went back to online dating after the aneurysm. And that was interesting just because it became sort of like a Seinfeld episode. Like at what point during a date do you bring up that you've had a ruptured brain aneurysm? You know, it's <laughs> like, would you like to split some nachos as an appetizer? By the way, I have something to tell you, you know? So and it, then it became, I, I started to fixate on that rather than the date. So I, I took myself out of the, the game uh, within the last year. Cause it's not, it, it, it stopped being as much of a priority. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, those, those would, I would say would be the two. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And, 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 and the memoir is chock full of, of uh, what I remember, you know, different messages I've had with different people and their responses and stuff. So yeah, a little different anecdotes here and there. That's wonderful, man. And yeah, I just, I love the fact that anyone would even talk about online dating because honestly speaking, dating in general is just one of the most awkward uh, things we as human beings do. So um, kudos for you for even breaching the subject. Yeah. Well, again, you know, again, I, I feel like there are a lot of people out there that are probably uh, dealing with it themselves or embarrassed by situations they've been in and if they can read about my exploits, then maybe they won't feel as bad about themselves. Exactly. 
comic relief, right? Isn't that what we call it? I think so. Yeah, I think so too. Well, Andrew, this has been a great conversation today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. You too. Take care of yourself. And friends, family, neighbors out there, take care of yourselves too. You know the routine. Drive fast, take chances, unexpect the expected. And remember, it's all in your head. This is to my sick kids. Time to flip this shit. Depakote, Adderall, Ritalin, Pixie Sticks. I don't give a fuck what you're riding to the setting sun. Use it as a weapon when it's said and done. It's all too much. Seizure Salad Fuster Clock Epilepticus is produced and hosted by Micah Ball. Original logo and graphic designed by Alba Lopez. The song Seizure Boy, courtesy of Watsky, and used with permission. Find more great music and poetry on his website, georgewatsky.com. Follow our podcast, like our Facebook page, Whatever blows your hair back, just keep listening. And join us again soon for another episode of Seizure Salad. Until then, remember to unexpect the expected. And it's all in your head. Take a minute to the whip and then I'm gonna mash on gas. Cause I'll be crashing that impasse with that ass syntax. Skinny motherfucker off a bucket of slim fast.